Hey y'all, happy Sunday. My name is Nancy and our scripture reading today comes from Mark chapter 1 verses 29 to 38. This is the reading of God's word. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let, let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we are closing out our series on the Emotionally Healthy Church. Uh, it's a series that I think has been really important for our community, especially in the midst of a year like 2020, where God seems to be keeping us in a place where we just can't run from our emotions anymore. You know, you have this extended quarantine uh, coupled with uncertainty about the future, and then you throw politics and racism and unemployment and virtual education into the mix, and you basically have a recipe for a complete emotional breakdown. And I've been saying this each week, but emotionally healthy spirituality is not something that can be achieved or unlocked after one nine-week sermon series. It's something that for many of us is gonna take months, years, maybe even a lifetime, which is why we're launching an Emotionally Healthy Church course this fall, which is why all of our community groups are gonna be working through this material again. Uh, it's because we believe that as a church, we need to create space for our congregation to really sit with and process our emotions, as difficult and uncomfortable as that may be. And today, uh, we're looking at the final principle of emotional health, and I think it's a very fitting end to this series and it's slowing down, slowing down. You see, we have a tendency to approach emotional health the same way we approach building IKEA furniture. We get the instructions, we feel like we got the gist of it, and then we build the thing as fast as we can only to discover we put all the shelves in the wrong place. Okay, I know this because I did this this past week. And this is how our culture operates, right? We want results fast. We want results now. I mean, think about it. Entire industries are created around helping people get from point A to point B as fast as they possibly can. Slow equals bad. Speed and efficiency are everything, and we punish businesses and products that don't give us what we want when we want it. You know, I don't know how many times I ordered something impulsively on Amazon because I saw that little notification in the corner that says, if you order in the next 15 minutes, it'll be delivered on the same day, right? This is why fad diets are so popular in our city, even though they're almost impossible to maintain. Why? Because you can get results fast. Well, in that sense, this is why 2020 has been so wildly frustrating because there were things we wanted to accomplish this year. Everyone was like, hashtag 2020 vision, right? This is the year I start making career moves. This is the year I finally get to travel. This is the year I get in shape. And then God was like, nope. 
Life came to a screeching halt. Plans came to a screeching halt. Dreams came to a screeching halt. And when you get to my age, losing even one year or delaying one year feels like you lost an eternity. But then you wonder, could it be that this is exactly what God wants for us? Could it be that 2020 isn't a waste, but a gift? A gift to a people who've become accustomed to running on empty. A gift to a people who are exhausted from doing, going, performing, producing. A gift to a people who've become addicted to busyness. You know, what's really interesting when you look at the life of Jesus is that he gave himself such a small window to accomplish everything he had to accomplish on earth. 33 years of life, only three of them doing actual vocational ministry. You know, this is very discouraging for me because I've already outlived Jesus and I'm not even close to accomplishing half of what he did. You know, he just healed the sick, fed the 5,000, saved the world, no big deal. And if there was anyone who had a reason to be in a hurry, it was Jesus. If there was anyone whose calendar should have been packed to the minute, it was Jesus. And yet when you read through the Gospels, you never see Jesus speeding up. You never see him flustered because he's late. You never see him overburdened because of everything on his plate. You never need him, see him needing a vacation from a vacation. You always see him slowing down. You always see him pulling back. You never see him saying, come on, come on, come on, let's go, we don't have time. No, more often than not, you see him saying, you know what, let's go take a break. Let's go find a quiet place. Let's go rest. And the Gospel of Mark, which we're in today, really hones in on this. Over and over again throughout this book, you see Jesus withdrawing from people, setting aside daily life activities, hitting the pause button on the demands of ministry to slow down and be alone with the Father. It's what we see in our text today. You know, most people, when they read this passage, they focus on this section from verses 29 to 34. Listen to what it says. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And we like to focus on this part of the narrative because it paints a picture of what we would typically associate with a full, meaningful life. Right? And one day, Jesus teaches in the synagogue, and then he goes straight to his friend's house where he heals Simon's mother-in-law, and then after sunset, he has the entire town gathered at the door waiting for him to heal them, which he does. In our day, this would be equivalent to those working parents who get up at 5 a.m. to exercise, then pack their kids lunch and drop them off at school. Then they go straight into work for a day full of meetings and presentations, then pick up their kids, cook their family dinner, give their kids a bath, put the kids to bed, and then finish up all the work they didn't get to at the office. And then somehow, while doing all this, still finding the time to attend all the birthdays and weddings and events on their calendar. And you know what we say about people like this? They're crushing it. 
hashtag life goals, right? Harvard Business Review recently conducted a series of studies on social status in America, and what they found was really interesting. Uh, they found that there was a direct correlation between a person's busyness and how important people perceive them to be. You know, whereas 50 years ago, it used to be that leisure was a sign of wealth. Like if you have nothing to do, that must mean you're important. And yet this study shows that now, busyness is a sign of wealth. And think about it. What do most of us say when someone asks us, how's it going? We say, good, just busy, so busy, right? Most of us would be pretty embarrassed to say, you know, I don't really have anything going on right now. And we don't like saying that because in our day and age, busyness means we're wanted. Busyness means we're valued. Somebody or something needs our attention. It means our life matters. And verses 29 to 34 in our text seems like it's confirming this, but then you get verse 35. Mark slips this subtle but important detail into the text that I think is easy to miss, especially because we tend to read the Bible in a hurry too. But in verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Like at the end of verse 34, Jesus is on a roll. Why would you stop? Why wouldn't you just ride that momentum? Why wouldn't you just keep pushing? Why wouldn't you just keep going? And yet it says he withdrew to a solitary place where he prayed. He slowed down as if to show us that hurry is not inevitable. It's a choice. And trust me, no matter how many things you think you have to do, I guarantee you, you don't have more things on your plate than Jesus. And yet even the Messiah finds time to slow down. You know, if you were to ask someone, what is the greatest enemy of our faith in this day and age? Most likely you would hear things like apathy, consumerism, post-modernity, and yet the late Dallas Willard once said, hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual lives. I'm reminded of something Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil cannot make you sin, he will make you busy. Because sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off your connection from God to other people and to your own soul. Even now, I'm sure many of you, while listening to this sermon, after about the first five minutes, started to feel a little antsy. Maybe you started eyeing the alerts on your phone. Maybe you're trying to listen and check your emails at the same time. And I don't say this to make you feel guilty because I do it too. I mean, why focus on one task when you can multitask? Why be inefficient? We have a limited amount of time in the day, so let's get as much stuff done as we possibly can. And technology seems to make this possible, but at what cost? Because let me ask you another question. What are you in such a rush to do? You know, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Homer, who used to pastor one of the biggest megachurches in Portland, talks about this moment in his life when he comes home after having preached six services, okay, six services, with talks about opening up a seventh. And he's sitting there on his couch drinking a beer, and he starts to envision what his life is going to look like in 10 years. And this is what he says. I see a man who is successful, but by all the wrong metrics. Church size, book sales, speaking invites, social stats, and the new American dream, your own Wikipedia page. 
In spite of all my talk about Jesus, I see a man who is emotionally unhealthy and spiritually shallow. I'm still in my marriage, but it's duty, not delight. My kids want nothing to do with the church. She was the mistress of choice for dad, an illicit lover I ran to to hide from the pain of my wound. I'm basically who I am today, but older and worse, stressed out, on edge, quick to snap at the people I love most, unhappy, preaching a way of life that sounds better than it actually is. And what he realizes in that moment is that he doesn't even like the person he's in such a hurry to become. And when I read this, it shook me to the core, not only being a pastor myself, but also thinking about so many of my friends and family who are exhausted right now, bending over backwards, trying to be someone they themselves don't even want to be. And I immediately thought of Jesus' words in Mark 8 when he says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? But you see, this is why hurry is so dangerous. It convinces us that there's a world out there we need to go grab. There's money to be made, friends to be acquired, events to attend that will make us feel like our life matters. And yet this is precisely what sin is, right? It's an attempt to be our own savior. It's an attempt to validate and justify ourselves, to work our way to salvation, to do whatever it takes to prove that our life has meaning. And this isn't a modern problem. You know, listen to what it says in Jeremiah 2.25. God is rebuking the Israelites and he says this, when will you stop running? When will you stop panting after other gods? But you say, save your breath. I'm in love with these foreign gods, and I can't stop loving them now. Listen to the message translation of this text. It says, slow down. Take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. You see, from the beginning of time, humans have struggled to slow down because we have sought our salvation outside of God. Now, you might be asking, how do we slow down when there's so much to do, when people need me to perform, when I'm being pulled left and right, and Jesus knows how that feels? Notice in verse 36, when Simon and his companions find Jesus, they say, everyone's looking for you. Meaning, where'd you go? There's work to be done. Everyone needs you. Your team needs you. Your kids need you. Your parents need you. The church needs you. Someone or something is always seeking our attention and energy. There's always a friend who needs us to be there for them. There's always an email or text that needs to be responded to. There's always an issue at home that needs to be resolved. And when that's the case, the idea of slowing down seems naive and maybe even lazy. But notice what happens next. After the disciples say this, Jesus doesn't say, oh shoot, you're right, let's go to them. No, he replies, let's go somewhere else so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. You see, whatever happened in that small window of time when he slowed down and withdrew to be alone with the Father, we know that the result was a clear picture of what he was sent to do. He was no longer tied to what people needed him to be. He was secure in what the Father called him to be. He was no longer bound to the urgent. He was focused on the important. You ever get those two mixed up? Charles Hummel published a little booklet back in 1967 called Tyranny of the Urgent. 
And he talks about how as human beings, we wake up every single day to a never-ending laundry list of things we think are important when in fact they're just urgent. Scheduling that meeting, clearing out the inbox, checking our DMs, all the while the truly important things are left neglected. But you know why prioritizing the urgent is so irresistible? Because it comes with immediate results. It's measurable. It makes us feel like we're in control of our lives when we're checking things off the to-do list. The important things, on the other hand, very hard to measure. Loving your kids, how do you measure that? Way easier to just make sure they're fed. Loving your neighbors, how do you measure that? Way easier to just post an article on social media. You see, hurry and love are incompatible because love is painfully time-consuming. And John Mark Homer says, if you don't believe that, the next time you're trying to get your type B husband or wife and three easily distracted children out of the house and you're running late, just pay attention to how you relate to them. Does it look and feel like love? Or is it far more in the vein of agitation, anger, a biting comment, a rough glare? Hurry and love are oil and water. They simply do not mix. Isn't it interesting that in the Apostle Paul's definition of love, the first descriptor is that love is patient. You cannot hurry the most important things in life because the most important things in life are not in our control. In fact, it's only when we slow down that we acknowledge how little control we actually have and we learn to live in utter dependence. And this is what Jesus is modeling for us. Even after healing the sick and casting out demons, there is never a moment when he says, I got this. No, he needs to go back to the Father. He needs to regularly recharge and reset so that he never allows the urgent to crowd out the important. And this is how Jesus doesn't even bat an eye when the disciples say, everyone's waiting for you, everyone needs you. He basically says, nope, that's urgent, but I have more important things I have to take care of now. Let's go somewhere else. Now, when the disciples hear that, I'm sure they're thinking, what is going on with this guy? Why would you leave a good thing? People here love you. They need you. What could be more pressing than that? And yet there's no hesitation whatsoever in Jesus. In slowing down and setting aside intentional time with God, Jesus is no longer a slave to what people think. He's no longer a slave to his own success. He's free to live in the way he's called to live. You see, when we slow down, when we choose maybe not to go to three events in one day, when we choose to maybe take a day off to spend time with our family, when we choose to forgo that extra project to have some time to ourselves, sometimes there will be consequences. I guarantee you, you will be disappointing someone. You may be less productive. That other guy might get promoted ahead of you. You might even miss a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But maybe you'll be free. And maybe you'll realize you don't need to do anymore to prove you matter. And maybe for the first time in a long time, you'll actually find your soul at rest. Doesn't that sound amazing? To be able to spend time with your loved ones without one eye on the phone waiting for that text? Doesn't it sound amazing to be able to do your job at a manageable pace without feeling like you have to work around the clock to impress your boss? 
Doesn't it sound amazing to just be able to say no without fear or insecurity? Well, this is what we see in Jesus, and this is the life Jesus promises to those who put their trust in him. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is speaking here to a hyper-religious culture where people had all these moral and ethical demands placed on them by teachers of the law who said you have to follow these commandments and these rules and these regulations if you want God to love you and bless you and answer your prayers. And so you had all these people striving and running as fast as they could, constantly wondering if they were good enough or moral enough to be worthy of God's love. Well, at the heart of our hurried, busy lifestyle is the same desire to validate ourselves before God, before the world, and even ourselves. And to all of us who are running at full speed right now, striving, doing, exerting, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And the imagery he uses to illustrate this is really peculiar, right? He uses the image of a yoke which is basically this heavy wooden beam that was fastened over the necks of a pair of oxen to enable them to carry a wagon or a load. And you would basically put the stronger ox on one side and the weaker, less experienced one on the other so that the stronger ox would bear the brunt of the burden. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's saying, I will carry the burden so you don't have to. And this is exactly what he does on the cross. He bears every burden we try to carry on our own shoulders. The burden of being perfect, the burden of being accomplished and successful and significant and good. And he gives his life so that you and I might experience true rest for our souls. Now, practically speaking, how do we get into the yoke with Jesus? How do we slow down and experience that deep rest Jesus has secured for us on the cross? Well, it takes work. Wait, Jason, I thought the whole point of this sermon was to tell us to stop working. But you see, because our culture has trained us to be busy, because it's instilled in us habits and rituals that keep us in a hurry, we actually have to retrain ourselves to slow down and get into the presence of God. Notice, Jesus has to wake up super early while everyone else is sleeping in order to get away. He needs to intentionally create space that allows him to spend time alone with the Father. You know, a book I read like five times last year was a book called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. And in it, she says, many of us try to shove spiritual transformation into the nooks and crannies of a life that is already unmanageable, rather than being willing to arrange our life for what our heart most wants. We think that somehow we will fall into transformation by accident. Over time, as we surrender ourselves to new life and new rhythms, they help us to surrender old behaviors, attitudes, and practices so that we can be shaped by new ones. You see, rest should not be something that happens only after we're completely burnt out and have nothing left in the tank. Rest needs to be arranged into our lives because it is the means by which we not only enjoy and give thanks to God for the life He's given us, but also learn to live by faith, trusting that ultimate satisfaction doesn't come from what we can do, 
but what has already been done for us. If you remember our series in the book of Genesis, God rested on the seventh day, not because his energy was depleted, but because the work was completed. Every time we intentionally slow down and cease all our striving and doing, we are pointing to the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Friends, I know that 2020 has been exhausting. I know we're all wondering when life is going to return to normal. But in a time when God has graciously flipped the script of our lives, in a time when he has disrupted every rhythm and pattern that was so ingrained in us, in a time when he has exposed the ways we have allowed the urgent to crowd out the important, let us not waste this opportunity to create new rhythms, new habits, and new practices that allow us to get into the easy yoke of Jesus. Jesus, our hope, our satisfaction, and our ultimate rest. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this word today. Even now we confess that our minds are probably racing with things we have to do, tasks we have to complete, people we have to reach out to. But on this Labor Day weekend, a time when our nation takes a collective breather from work, may we remember where our ultimate rest comes from. May we remember the hope we have in the gospel and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Teach us to hear your voice so that we would not aimlessly run after rival gods. We entrust our hearts and our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.